Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. I'm Aaron. This is Polly. And, you know, we have cut the dead weight away. The you albatrosses. Know, we, we, the albatry? Yeah. Are there, I don't know how that, I don't know what the plural of albatross is. I, I just want you to think of the body of Funny Books and the necrotizing flesh that we have removed. We have excised it like a surgeon. Oh, yeah. And it's gone. The unhealthy, gray, mottled flesh is gone. Now you've got just healthy, robust pink flesh ready to bring you the awesome. That's right. Tim and Wayne are gone today. Gone. G-U-N. Yeah, G-U-N gone. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, lean, mean, funny books machine is going on today. That is right. And to celebrate, Aaron and I are going to have a This Is Us podcast. Uh, that is awesome. Yes, yeah, this is us with Aaron and Polly. <laughs> and, and you know what's so, funny? What the funniest part of that is? We're not joking. We're actually going to talk about <laughs> this is us right now. Because Aaron, do you and, and do you and your wife watch this is us? Yeah, religiously. Okay, I, I love that show. Okay, so I need to talk to you. Okay, because uh, my lady friend. Uh, yeah, your your lady friend. Uh, she watches this is us and so you know i get home Uh from the gym this morning and she's watching this week's episode and Uh you know and so i I is she just bawling is she just bawling Uh, she is just bawling and that's how Uh every episode ends with a Uh like a like i like she is in pain crying her eyes out at the end of every episode does it end with does it end with hold me polly (laughs) (laughs) sometimes but um (laughs) but i'm just like why do people watch this? It is torturous. It is a show with the express intent of making you cry every episode. Uh-huh. You know, it reminds me at work, we had a uh, one of our original employees from when the company first started, right, mm-hmm. was retiring this week. And so uh, one of my friends was preparing some remarks for the retirement party. And, and she's like, well, what do you recommend? I said, well, what are you trying to achieve? She goes, well, I want to make her cry. And I'm like, that seems a little harsh. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree. I think that is the exact intent of the show. It is de- designed to have you weep, whether it be tears of joy or tears of sadness. It is designed to make you weep. But why is that and enjoyable? I, <laughs> I, you know, it is a, it is a uh, it, maybe it's the catharsis. Maybe it's it's the, the ability to feel something, <laughs> you know, during the week. I, I got to tell you, it's a great show. I, I, I really enjoyed that show. And this week's was particularly uh, uh, emotive because, you know, one of the one of the main characters died this week. Yes. And it reminded me very much of when my my father passed away uh, several years back. And I, you know, and everybody I know who's got a, a parent who has died. You know, that watches the show I'm talking to and they're like, oh, God, it, it put me right back there. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that was the intent. That is yeah. exactly what they were doing. Uh-huh. You know, it, it was rough. It was rough. It was, it, I, I needed some uh, some uh, therapy afterwards. But do you, but do you wonder, like, do, will it ever get old? Do you think like I mean, so apparently it got renewed for at least one or two more seasons. I don't recall. But do you well, think there's remind- three seasons worth of tears? Do you think you have three seasons well, worth of tears in you, Aaron? Here's the thing. I think that I, I suspect that it's like the original season of Heroes, that it's just one hit after another and it's just fantastic. But I don't think it can be sustained. I would I would be very surprised if it has the same magic in season two that it has in season one. Um, 
And, you know, the common thread between Heroes and This Is Us is that Ventimiglia, Ventimiglia uh, I can't even <laughs> pronounce his name, the, the guy that he was in Heroes, he was in uh, Gilmore Girls, he played Jesse. Yeah, he was in Rocky. Uh, I can't re- What is his name? Ventimiglia? Milo Ventimiglia. Yeah. Um, but he's in it and he's great in it. And one of the big mysteries is, you know, he is the father of the three children that the show is about. And so they only show him in flashback because at some point he died. And the big mystery is how did he die? And they haven't, you know, everybody knows that all the characters know that, but the viewer doesn't know that. And I just, I, I think they have to reveal that before the season's end. And I'm just curious as to how that picks up in season two, because it does feel it, this feels very much like lightning in a bottle. And I think it's going to be hard to, uh, to hold on to that, hold on to that magic. So many shows can't do it. But it's just, you know, I find it interesting because, like, everyone in the show is troubled in some way, right? I mean, oh, yeah. you know, one guy yeah. has panic attacks, the other one's, you know, selfish and trying to become a better man, and the other girl's overweight uh-huh. and trying to lose weight, and there's always, uh-huh. like, everyone has some type of, of drastic drama. And I think about my life, and I'm like, no, nah, I mean, like, I'm okay. Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, not that my family's well, without drama, but, I, I, you know, I think about myself, and I'm like, hmm. Like, if they made a TV show about my life, what would it be? Like, Paul's an alcoholic. Maybe that's what it would be. Paul, Paul's the alcoholic. Everybody loves Paul is what it would be called. It would be. <laughs> Everyone loves Paul. Yeah, that's what it would be. But, yeah, um, yeah. you know, I've, 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 I've not seen every episode. I've only seen, you know, the, the short bits that I've caught with her. And um, it just seems like it's – it seems like sadomasochistic to watch well, the show. Well, I, I would – I will tell you that it is it is uh, whimsically charming at times, and it is uh, uh, painfully emotional at other times. I, I, I but I, I dig the show. It's it's got some fantastic writing. The the humor has a real uh, organic sense to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I dig it. I dig it. And I, my my favorite character on the show is Randall, who is the uh, the uh, African American uh, uh, adopted child of the three, three children that the story focuses on. I, I love him. I love his, his backstory, his, uh, birth father, his relationship with his, uh, with his adopted father. I just, I completely dig it. The thing that I find really interesting is that it really, the, the show focuses on the father child relationship a lot more than it focuses on the mother child relationship. And the mother is still alive and a character that continues to appear in the show. So I'm kind of fascinated by that and, and why that is. Yeah. Because it's not like she's a ba- it's not like the character is a bad person. The character is a good person, uh, but it just seems you know very focused on the parent who's not there. I find that I think um, I, you know in the short bit that I've watched, I, I think that I've enjoyed Randall's character, and I think because he's from what I can tell, he seems to be the the the, the one that's most focused on, probably because he has so much going on. Um, right. Also, I'm a fan of the actor um, Sterling yeah, K. I- Brown. He was also in the the People versus O.J. Simpson. I don't know yeah, if you watched he was that. He was show. great in that. He played, oh, yeah. He, yeah, he played Chris, he played Christopher Darden and he was fantastic in that. You know, he's also going to be in the new Predator movie. Is he? Yes. I like that actor. I like that actor. My wife would tell you that he was in Army Wives as well. But uh I, not I, a show I, I would I would trust her opinion. <laughs> I would trust her judgment on that. But yes, he will be in the Predator and he will also be in the Black Panther movie. Huh? Yeah, he's a good actor. I I, I like him on screen and and He's got a lot of charm and charisma. I think that uh, he really sells that character who is, you know, supposed to be less charming than his actor brother on the show. But I find him to be to be very charming and a great sense of humor. Yeah. 
So, yeah. um, you know, so long story short, This Is Us is, is an exercise in catharsis um, on a weekly basis. <laughs> yeah. Kind of I like, agree. you know, when you watch Millennium, you know, I, I, the, the, the TV show Millennium that at this point is 20 years old. Yeah, just yeah. about because it was out what ninety nine and two thousand. It actually ended before the before the millennium because I remember before, they had yeah. they, they had to have that concluding episode in X Files. Uh, right, right. But uh, you know, it was around nineteen ninety six, nineteen ninety seven that Millennium was on, and um, that I found was an exercise in not slitting your wrists every week. <laughs> um, that, that show was the express intent of you go into it with a great mood and you will leave it wanting to kill yourself every week with the exception of the one episode with the exception with the of the exception one funny episode, episode. <laughs> yeah somehow the devil got behind me uh which is a hysterical episode that makes fun of itself but yeah uh millennium was just brutal every week loved that show own it on dvd yeah i own uh, it on dvd but, and i've tried binge watching it and after about two or three episodes i just can't do it <laughs> you know there there are some shows that are just so dark and hopeless i can't watch them anymore yeah uh, millennium's not one of those shows but there are shows uh currently in production for instance that i'm just like golly i, I just can't do this yeah it's just too it's just too dark uh i i, I got to that point with uh westworld mm. You know, I I I still got like seven episodes of Westworld I haven't watched and actually deleted off my my TiVo because uh, it was just so dark. You know, it just seemed so terrible. You know, uh, even though the, the, I appreciate I appreciate a dark show. Mm-hmm. I think what I appreciate mo- most about dark things, though, is that there's always a glimmer of hope or there should always be a glimmer right. of hope. So when I find a show that doesn't have that glimmer of hope or a movie that doesn't have that glimmer of hope, generally I lose interest. Yeah. It wears you out. You it know, I, I just, I need a little bit of joy. Yeah. Just a little bit. I don't need a lot. I just need a little spark of joy, some sense of humor because humans have a sense of humor at the most dark times. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I'll tell you, I finished reading the expanse novels this week, all six of the expanse novels, uh, currently in print. And those are great big giant books. And they tell a very dark, disturbing story of a future that's not quite so bright and hopeful, but the characters have a genuine sense of humor and there are laugh out loud moments that grow not from you know that that it was a it was a a jokey sort of situation but it's funny in how the the characters respond to it mm-hmm. you know uh, the way people would respond and i think that's what's missing you know you see so many of these shows where it's post apocalyptic and i don't care how terrible the situation is i am sure i am sure that there were people who were cracking wise uh, in nazi germany you know, yeah. who were who were victims of of uh, the horrible oppression that was there. I'm sure there were people who were cracking wise and because that's what humans do. Exactly. That's how so. people cope, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, like I said, you know, Westworld, there's so many neat things about Westworld, but it just focuses on really sort of the terrible aspects of humanity without really kind of enjoying itself. Agreed. Whereas The Walking Dead, for instance, you know, there are moments that are just laugh out loud funny, like when uh, we meet Ezekiel for the first time and he's got his tiger there. And, you know, our, the, 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 the cast that we know and love from The Walking Dead all jump back, you know, like, holy crap, there's a tiger in the room. And the uh, Jesus, the guy who's their guy, says, oh, yeah, forgot tiger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your word for it on The Walking Dead. 
Love that show. I know. Love I, that I, show. I, well, you know, since you're talking about The Walking Dead, I want to mention that this week it was actually a, this week was a good week for horror. We don't talk about horror much on the podcast, even though I'm a huge fan. But Timmy doesn't like horror, and right. uh, you know, generally, I think while you appreciate a a, a fine horror, um, you know, horrific element to your fiction, you're not like a seek out a horror film kind of guy. I'm never going to go to a horror convention, Paul. That's me. I you know never say I, never I enjoy again. me. Never say never. <laughs> I enjoy me some horror, but I, I am not nearly the horror fanatic that perhaps you are. Well, I went to an advanced screening, um, but it is out in theaters now, of um, Get Out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard good things about that. Uh, so Get Out is um, written and directed by Jordan Peele of Key and Peele. Um, yeah. You know, he, he, he hasn't done much since Key and Peele. Not like um, the other the other gentleman, Key, I guess. Um, I forget his name. Uh, but he Keegan you know, Michael, something like that. Um, yeah, I, 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 yes. Yeah. And he's all over the place. But um, Jordan Peele hasn't done much. Um, I, well, I say hasn't done much, but he's been writing and directing this film. And I got to tell well, you, they did the, they did that kitty cat movie. Last oh, that's year. right. I didn't I never saw that. Keanu. Oh, that movie's hysterical. Yeah, I, I love to check movie. that out. But yeah. Get Out is fantastic. It is fantastic. Um, you know, it's it's very much um, it's very much a modern day Stepford Wives uh, type film. You know, it, whereas Stepford Wives was about um, you know kind of at that time it was about you know um, women empowerment and 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 how um, you know the, the society was having a hard time understand you know accepting that women were you know had equal rights and things like that um when the, right. when it first came out get out is very much a, a satire about um failed racism you know um veiled racism i should say not failed um you know veiled racism and in society you know how folks you know generally you know whoa you know i'm not racist but we have those preconceived notions you know on on people of other races and things like that um so there is a lot of humor in it but it's also extremely intense um one of those films where you don't necessarily know where it's going i mean it, it has genuine surprises and genuine tension and i thought it was absolutely fantastic highly recommend seeing it even though i'm referring to it as a horror film it's really more of a suspense um, there's not really a supernatural element to it. Um, if, if you know the, the the commercials may may give you um, an uh, or the trailers may give you an, a different um, a different feel of that, but it's generally pretty grounded. Um, it's it has some interesting imagery, but it's well directed, well written, and highly recommended um, if you like a good suspense film. So get out, really good. I, you know, I, I have, you know, I saw your remarks on it earlier in the week and uh, have seen others. And I was like, wow, that sounds really good. So, uh, yeah, I'll check that out. And, I, I, you know, come the end of the year, it is absolutely going to be on every um, horror top ten list. I, I, I just it's one of those films, even though it's not strictly horror. It's absolutely going to be there. Um, and another film that may be there, hopefully, is Alien Covenant. Um, which is coming out later this year uh, from Ridley Scott, the director of the original Alien and the horrible, horrible Prometheus. Um, <laughs> Why didn't you? I Prometheus wasn't bad. Prometheus was bad. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't good. I mean, <laughs> I thought I, Prometheus I, was a beautifully filmed piece of crap. <laughs> I, I, I just I didn't find much to enjoy in Prometheus. I, I, I thought it was poorly written. I think the problems with Prometheus were, were down to the story. 
I, I don't disagree. I, I, there, there are certainly problems with the film, but you know, in, in, in its whole, um, I, I feel like it's not a bad film. It's just not a particularly good film. I feel like there, there is that space for films that are just, you know, neutral, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they don't, they don't harm the environment, but they don't enrich it either. Fair, fair. But Alien Covenant looks to, you know, to, to be a return to, um, the, you know, the, um, xenomorph horror you know that was established in the original alien um and this week i don't know if you've seen it they released a prologue um to the film online you know directed by ridley scott and i say a prologue they're referring to it as a prologue but ultimately it's it's just like a four minute sequence from the film um that Mm. introduces all the cast members so um the cast includes uh danny mcbride it includes james franco um it includes um a number of other folks that you, you've probably seen in other things. And uh, it, it's certainly... Oh, and Michael Fassbender, obviously. Billy Crudup is also in it. Catherine Waterston. Um, it, it's it's certainly interesting. A, a good... You know, it, it's it's got an ominous feel to it, but at the same time introducing the characters. So, I mean, if you are a fan or, or looking forward to the film, it's not going to spoil anything for you. It, it is, like I said, just an introduction to the cast, basically, um, you know, and the feel of the film. So I, I would check that out, too. It's certainly worth checking out. Cool. Yeah. No, I was not aware that that was that, that was online. I will be checking that out. And if you, you know, if you can watch YouTube videos on your television, that's the way to watch it. You know, don't watch it off your phone. It's, you know, Ridley Scott has a visual eye that certainly belongs on a bigger screen than your cell phone. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you said it's about four minutes. It's about four minutes. Not too long. Yeah. Cool. I'll check that out. In other movie news, we had spoken last week um, about, well, we had spoken two weeks ago how Matt Reeves, the director of War of the Planet, or War for the Planet of the Apes, or War of the Planet of the Apes, um, as well as Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, um, Mm -hmm. and Cloverfield, would be directing uh, the new Batman film. And then last week, we had discussed how talks had fallen apart, and Matt (laughs) Reeves would no longer be directing the Batman. Well, now Matt Reeves is officially signed... (laughs) To direct the Batman, I guess. Uh, Wahoo! I guess they have figured out whatever financial, whatever thing they that were negotiating, um, and he is back on officially as the director of Batman, as well as Chris McKay, director of the Lego Batman movie that everyone, including myself, loves, has signed to do a Nightwing movie. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty excited about that. I'd love to see a Nightwing movie. Well, and you know there there are rumors that Ben Affleck has an interest in in um, in getting out of the Batman role. Um, really, you know, I, I saw something online about that this week. What's that all about, Paul? You know, he's not. It's not confirmed. It's all rumors, but it's it, it sounds like you know due to the high level of drama, you know, the poor per- performance of ba- of Batman versus Superman, and and just it seems like there's a lot of. A lot of drama in in regards to making the Batman film and things like that. It seems like maybe, and you know, plus Ben Affleck's not a spring chicken, but at the same time, he's not that old. Um, it right. just seems like he he he's more interested in in taking a step back from that role. Again, rumors. That being said, we still have two Justice League films and the Batman, um, at minimum, that will see him play the role. Um, right. And so, you know, as well as probably Gotham City Sirens and Suicide Squad 2. So we probably have a good five, six more years of Ben Affleck as the Batman. But I wonder if this Nightwing movie is a, a precursor to someone taking over the Batman role ultimately, you know, in five, six years. Uh, that would make sense. That would make sense. 
you know, if, if they've got the for, uh, fortitude to stick with it. Yeah, exactly. You know, know. Meaning meaning uh, Warner's not uh, the actor. Yeah. And of course, every actor and their mother, well, every actor and their brother, I should say, not their mother, is trying to toss their hat in the ring to play Nightwing. Um, you know, Jared Padalecki apparently went out on Twitter saying he was interested in the role. Um, I am not a big Jared Padalecki fan. I... I like him. I do. I like him a lot. I feel like he is very one note. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think he's much of an actor. I yeah. think that uh, he doesn't have a broad range. And I will say he is he is not a uh, a Dick Grayson sort of character. I, I don't I think you need someone who's a little bit younger one uh, than Jared Padalecki. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, someone who's got more of a gymnast's phys- physique. And that's not Jared Padalecki either. No. Yeah, and first of all, he's a fucking giant. Yeah, he is. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he's a he's a great big tall fella. Um, I, I I think you need somebody you know who's who's a little bit more Matt Damon sized. You yeah, know, I agree, but uh, not necessarily Matt Damon. You know, I mean, certainly no, someone not at younger, all. You know, someone mid. Yeah. I mean, I got to be honest. I'm going to put it out there just because I, I I want the guy to play a superhero role at some point. Zach Efron's pretty perfect for a number of superhero roles. Um, I don't know that Nightwing's the right one. I feel like he's probably more of a Shazam physique, um, but I mean that guy he's he's made to play some type of hero with a smile on their face. Yeah, no, I and I, I think that's what you've got to have. You've got to have somebody who who has that charisma, uh, so, and somebody young. I mean, he should you know Nightwing should really be you know twenty one, twenty three, somewhere in there, uh, particularly if the plan is to age them into a Batman character. Yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm down for a Nightwing movie. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that uh, it's, it, there's a possibility that Ben Affleck is, you know, not interested in, in continuing on with with, you know, the Batman role. But maybe he would be happy playing a Batman board game. It may be. Maybe. And... You know, and, and, and he has that opportunity on Kickstarter to kickstart. A Batman board game. Yes. So Monolith Board Games, um, who have produced a Conan board game. Um, so it, it's monolithedition.com. Um, this Conan board game looks freaking amazing. I, I gotta be, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest about this. I had not heard about it, um, mm-hmm. but it looks absolutely gorgeous, this Conan board game. Um I mean, it looks expensive, <laughs> um, you know, because it has 74 miniatures, nine engraved dice, 55 cards, 45 tiles, four game environments, one plastic book of Skelos, whatever the hell that is, um, <laughs> 148 tokens, hero sheets, gems, bases, game aid sheets, track sheets, heroes rulebook, overlord rulebook. I mean, it is a hefty package, um, and it, it says it's for... 14 years old or over two to five players for 90 minutes um 90 minutes average of a game um gotta be honest it looks freaking fantastic this might be a good uh mancon experience if it's out um (laughs) but uh that that company has uh teased that they will be uh that they have the rights to do a batman board game um the kickstarter has not begun yet uh but as soon as it does you know keep an ear out we'll hear we'll talk about it here on the podcast um but if it's that level of um of of board game i i think it would be something that would be very great um you know something that would be fun to play with with the guys yeah it strikes me as a little weird that you've got the money to have have the batman license but you need to kickstart your your project but i but i gather that it's not necessarily about uh 
startup funds. I really, I, I, largely, I'm thinking that Kickstarter is a good place to socialize your project, you know, and so get too. get folks zazzed about it. And it, you know that it's less about the money. Like you know, a lot of the role playing games I back, they're they're goal threshold is so low and they always just blow it out of the water. And honestly, I'm just like, this is just how they socialize it, you know, cover their startup costs, socialize it and, you know, make it into a, into a big, big seller. Well, and it's, you know, it it could be potential for doing things that weren't, that aren't necessarily included in the cost of the creation of the game, right? So your stretch goals and things like that. And to your point about socializing the game, your stretch goals include promotional materials. Here, wear your Conan board game t-shirt, you know, um, that kind of thing. Get the word out on the game. Uh, In fact, um, I'm looking at the board game right now. It is, uh, the Conan board game is available on Amazon um, list price is 119 bucks, um, but the wow. actual price is 100. But you know the Amazon price is 105 bucks, and like I said, mm-hmm. I expected it to be um, pretty pricey yeah. given all that's included in it. Um, but it looks absolutely gorgeous. Hmm. Uh, well, you know uh, I, what I find amazing. I noticed it this week is that Amazon's got a special section for Kickstarter projects, really Kickstarter projects that, that have already been backed and that are now available, you know, for purchase as opposed to getting in on, on the, pro- on the project. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've got a whole little section for Kickstarters. Hmm. So I was toggling through that. I'm like, I remember that one. I almost jumped in on that one. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know I, I feel, I don't mean to disparage Kickstarter because I think, Ultimately, should we ever get a Rainsboro thing off the ground, we'll either look at a Kickstarter or Indiegogo type campaign. Um, but unless it is, um, unless it's a role playing game or you know, or something of the like, or maybe even a comic book, I'm generally out on most Kickstarters um, because I, I've been burned a few times, you know, uh, especially if it's related to a movie or things like that, where the product takes a year or more or never happens. Um, you know, that's never happened with a, with a Pegasus incorporated, you know, the Savage Worlds folks, um, or it's never happened to me with a board, with a, with a role-playing game or a comic book. I've gotten my product. Um, but generally I think I, I, if I'm going to support a product, I'm going to do it by purchasing the product, but you know, we'll see. Yeah. That being said, when we do our Rainsboro Kickstarter, support it. That's right. Kick in. Kick in. <laughs> we won't be like that. We will make sure the product is ready in time for the Kickstarter. I, I, I think that but, you know, we, we would be you know fortuitous like that. That's right. Well, on our, our Rainsboro Kickstarter, we're just going to go straight to major motion picture. Oh, yeah. So you know, kick in. With Ben Affleck, because he'll be free. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> ben Affleck plays, ooh, as the alchemist. Mm-hmm. 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 I like it. <laughs> I was thinking the pocket square, but okay. No, screw that guy. That could be your Padalecki. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, let's talk about this week's comic books, starting with the big number one release from DC Comics, DC Universe Rebirth, um, Justice League of America, issue one. This is not the Rebirth issue. This is the actual first issue. The Rebirth issue, I think, came out a week or two ago. So this is the first issue proper, written by Steve Orlando with art by Ivan Reese. Um, you know, this is the the team featuring Lobo, Black Canary, Vixen, Killer Frost, Ray, Adam, and um, and then that's it, and Batman. Duh. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so duh. you know, this is the, this is their first adventure <laughs> together. And so, Aaron, what did you think? I did not like this book. Did you not? I didn't hate. 
I did not. Um, I thought that the uh, the artwork was great. I mean, Ivan Rice, you can't go wrong there, right? Yeah, he was. He did a beautiful uh, job. Yeah, my problem is the villain. Uh, you know, the what is it? The extremists. Yeah. Uh, with Lord Havoc and the rest of them, I've never liked those guys, and I I just don't find them to be uh, particularly compelling. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pause right there because um, I want to. Fi- so these are existing villains because I was not familiar with them. If I recall correctly, uh, they appeared in some Superman books pre-Flashpoint. Oh, okay. This may be their first appearance in the New 52, but uh, I recall them, and I want to say from uh, Superman books or maybe Justice League. But I don't – I I do not care for these guys. I don't like their design. Um, they To me, they just feel like random villains. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just I don't find them particularly compelling. And the the concept of this book, I, I found that this story is in uh, a big contrast to the concept of the book. And it also is in contrast to the way Batman handles everything else. So the concept of the book is that Batman wants to demonstrate to the world that humans can take care of their own business. Right. Yes. Um but wh- if that's the case, why do you have Lobo on the team? You know, I thought, you know, they, they made it a point that, you know, in the, one of the first conversations in the book is Batman saying they need to see that humans, you know, ground level, normal people can, can defend the world. And all I can think of is the only, you know, you have an alien on your team with Lobo, mm-hmm. first of all, a Zarnian. Um, and you have, in addition to that, one, two, three, four super powered people. The only human being that's in this team is is uh, the Adam is uh, you know, right. Ryan Choi who still has a super powered suit but at least he's human um, but everyone else is, is a super powered being well, Black you know, Canary it, Black Canary is normal right well no, I guess she's got her sonic screen. yeah she's got her sonic scream and you know it, it, here's the thing there are it, it made me think like other than Batman and his team of you know his team of folks uh, is there anyone in the DC universe who's a street level hero anymore? That's genuine street level, like a like a Daredevil or a you know. Well, I right. guess I guess you know Luke Cage, Iron Fist. I mean, you know, I guess Marvel's defenders are all super powered, but I don't think these characters. I don't think any of them are street level. Um, none of right. them strike me as street level. And maybe that's you know, it's funny because now I'm thinking about it. Other than you know, we have it. We certainly have that a bit in Detective Comics, but outside of that, do we have street level heroes in the DC universe? No, I don't think so. You know, we generally don't, um, yeah. you know, have that, that, you know, that Daredevil, Iron Fist, Shang-Chi, Punisher, Moon Knight equivalent outside of, you know, Batman, right. really. Yeah, certainly not in a solo book. No. Um, so, so you know, I had a problem with that. You know, that, that's that's Batman's, you know, it's like, we need to be able to demonstrate that humans can, can, can uh, you know, fight these problems, you know, to stand up and motivate, you know, uh, humanity. But, you know, we don't have any strong enough humans, so we got to have Lobo, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, and I, I I would disagree with your characterization that the other ones aren't humans. Yes, they're humans, but they they've got uh, superpowers. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Um, I think the distinction that, that Batman's making is that, you know, uh, Wonder Woman is not human. Right. Yeah, she's she's an Amazon. She is godly. Uh, Superman is certainly not human. He's Kryptonian. And so I think that's what, you know, those are the heavy hitters of the Justice League. He's trying to demonstrate that, that, you know, other people can do things. But my other issue, and this is my bigger issue, Paul, is that we see a Justice League team led by Batman 
and he sends them in to handle this, you know, otherworldly threat of guys who are pretty damn powerful with a team that has never fought together, a team that has yet to train together. Yeah. And he would never do that with his own people in Gotham. He would never do that and did not do it in the pages of detective comics with Stephanie Brown and uh, Orphan and Clayface and all those guys who have much more experience than most of these guys over here. I just, I, it is, it's one of those things that annoys me because this Batman doesn't seem like the other Batman. I agree. Um, you know, I, I feel like, here's the thing. I felt the book was fun. I Justice League of America is a big, dumb, fun book, but emphasis on the dumb. Um, the story doesn't generally make sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, everything we're talking about is that nothing in this book makes sense. One, none of these are street level characters. Or two, um, you know, Batman is, you know, not is, is sending these people who have never operated as a team with no training into the field against the an otherworldly force with superpowers. Um, it's just, you know, it, it's it's not it doesn't make sense. Agreed. Agreed. I, I so I, I did not much care for this book. I'll pick up the next issue, but it's not off to a rocking good start for me. Well, before we move on from this book, I'm going to create your street level team because now it's bugging me. DC, <laughs> here's your DC street level team. Catman. Green, uh, Catman. Right, I'd, I'd read that book. Right. I'm already I'm in. I'm uh, in. Green Arrow. Yeah. Um, Katana. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, you could throw Deathstroke in there if you want to have like, you know, a, a, a generally, you know, anti-hero. He's not a, okay. I was uh, going to say he's not a hero. You know what? But, he you know, with Green Arrow. Let's I, scrap him. He'll be the villain. I would go with, I'd go with Deadshot. Deadshot. Richard Dragon. Yeah. Who's that? Exactly. But he 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 is a DC character. He's he's basically D, DC's um, he, he's DC's best martial artist, really. Um, he's yeah, kind I, of DC's um, Iron Fist. Um, the question yeah. and Wildcat. <coughs> Bam! I just wrote your street level book right there, bitches. Justice League Man. Urban. Wildcat and Catman in the same book. I I'm, I I, I w- take all of my money. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I love both of those guys. I, you know what the sad thing is? I would read the ever-loving shit out of that book. With the yeah, right artist, the especially. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But Ollie's got to have the goatee. I can't I can't have a clean-shaven Ollie. Well, we're back to glo- goatee Ollie anyway. I know. I'm just saying. You know, don't, 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 don't. Don't uh, get cute with the facial with the absence of facial hair. Don't, sh- don't, don't shave my hero. Agreed. That's all I'm Agreed. saying. <laughs> don't shave my hero. <laughs> <laughs> I... Everyone likes his show title. Like, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave that one alone. Um, <laughs> so also from DC Comics, Action Comics number 974, the second part of Mild Mannered, which leads into um, the upcoming Superman Reborn. And before we get into the issue proper, I want to talk about something, which is the variant cover for this issue. Okay. The variant cover. So the variant cover from Gary Frank. Oh, yeah. Is a very ominous portrayal of Lois looking behind at a shadowy Clark Kent in the hallway behind her. You know, something, you know, something is amiss. Something is is horrible feeling about this image. You know, Lois and Clark is normally, you know, a very welcoming image. And then on the bottom left, they sneak in like a little toy Batmobile from the 1960s Uh Batmobile. And it takes me totally out of the image. (laughs) <laughs> like if you're trying to create a, a, an ominous feeling to your cover don't sneak fun easter eggs into it 
Right, right. That that just seems like a poor choice. I don't, like I'm like, oh, that is a good cover. And then I saw the Batmobile. I'm like, what? Why is that there? <laughs> like, I don't need fun in this image. Um, but anyway, so well, yes, look, I, I'm sorry that Wayne's not here for this discussion. Yes, because uh, I know how invested Wayne is for figuring who the fuck out uh, this, uh, you know, weird alternate Clark Kent is. I figured it out. I am confident I know who it is. Who? Yeah, you know, I made the joke that it was Mixelplick uh, the last episode or so, and it's it's it is not Mixelplick, but I, I I I feel intensely confident that I know who this is. Share. Do, do, well, before I do, do do you have do you have a, a theory? Do you, you know, are you reading it going? Oh, that's no, who that is. No, I did not. Because, because because as the book was unfolding, so. Lois has been trying to figure out who this guy is because it troubles her. You know, he's too much like Clark, you know, spit an image of him, has almost an identical background with the exception of, you know, how he wound up with the Kents. Um, you know, she we don't know who this guy is because we know that that this the new 52 Clark Kent is dead. Right. Mm-hmm. The Clark Kent that is her husband, it, you know, came forward from the Convergence story, you know, pre Flashpoint. Uh, so we're left to wonder who is this guy. So he has, you know, said that you know I feel compelled for to Lois. He's drawn to Lois. It's my destiny to be with Lois, and he, you know, takes her out. They were supposed to go to Bibbo's for a burger and a beer, right? And he winds up getting a stretch limo for them. Takes him to a posh French restaurant. Uh, proposes, and when she turns him down. He goes a little dark. He goes a little off. Yeah. And when he starts, he starts saying things like, you know, I'll, you know, give me a chance, Lois. I'll make it right. I'll make it good again. He's prime. He's Superboy prime grown up to be Superman's age. That's who this character is. I could see that. Yeah, I, I am. I am convinced he's he's Superboy prime grown up and doesn't have his powers. But yeah, I am. I am convinced that that's who this character is you know what if that's where the story goes then it will feel worth it yeah no i agree i I was i I was reading it last night and i was just like oh and it would make sense because remember he was he was not dead at the end of infinite crisis he was trapped in that portal universe and maybe he has now become free as part of the rewriting of the universe yeah i would be okay with that i you know for uh, i gotta be honest who i thought it was and and it was just a vague theory was that i thought it was matrix yeah. Um, you know, then maybe she had morphed into Superman and had not left. Um, you right, know, that that right. but at the same time, you know, Matrix hasn't really popped up since the nineties. But, you know, right. given the you know, given the blue flashy eyes at the end. Yeah. And you know, and, and the fact that this is generally tied into the reborn storyline or rebirth storyline. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Superboy Prime. I'm okay with yeah. that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I I finally got excited about this story. When that occurred to me last night, I was like, oh, yeah, OK, I'm down now. You know, it, it, it kind of makes sense. So, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'll am i be curious to see if I'm right about that. But, boy, that sure does feel like the right answer. In God, the I hope it is. I hope it is. Yeah. And yeah. so we'll find out next week when Superman number 18, the first part of Superman Reborn comes out. And I am, I am yeah. psyched. I am psyched for that crossover. I, you know, I, 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 I will say I will admit to being very disappointed that we didn't find out the story of Clark Kent, but the fact that it is tied into reborn, um, you know, Superman reborn does kind of in, inform me that there's more to it than I thought, 
you know, it, it yeah, seems to be tied into the greater a, rebirth storyline. Yeah, it seems like a more important story than you were initially given to believe. Agreed. So, so Paul, uh, we both super dug uh, Commandy Challenge issue number one. Uh, issue number two came out this week uh, with Neil Adams on uh, on pencils and what, Pete Tomasi? Yeah, Pete Tomasi writing it. Yeah. So uh, tell me what you Now, I will say, and this is sacrilege probably... I don't like Neil Adams. I don't like him necessarily as a person. I don't like his art. Um, like I, 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 I generally get the sense that he's conceited and um, you know a bit big for his britches. And I, you know, his his art feels dated to me. Uh, that being said, I didn't find it too distracting in this book. Um, and I, 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 I thought the story was fun enough that. I, I I loved this issue. I really did. And and the reason I did is because it feels like, you know, it, it feels like I, I'm back in, in school and me and my friends are writing a chapter as and throwing as much shit as possible as we can to make it more difficult for the person who takes over the story after us. And that's what it feels like they're doing at DC Comics. Pete Tomasi got the story. He's like, okay. Well, here's what I'm going to do to figure out that. And let me just throw as much as I can for the next writer. And it feels like, you know, it's it just a crazy amount is going on in this book um, that's setting up a challenge. And thus the point of being a commandy challenge for the next writer. Um, you know, we get the, the, the concept of alternate universes and the Manhunters and and all sorts of stuff is thrown in this book. And I feel like it's setting up, you know, he, he's just challenging, um, I believe, uh, Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor. Are on the next issue, mm-hmm. and which is a, a stellar creative team, I think. Um, I, I do find it interesting that Dan Abnett didn't generally have <laughs> a, a way of getting out of his story, <laughs> a, solution. a solution to his yeah. story. Um, yeah. But what did you think of Commandy Challenge issue two? Well, I, I share a lot of your your feelings about Neil Adams. I think that I, I have listened to Neil Adams interviews, and, and you know sometimes. You shouldn't hear your heroes talk, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, I, I'm a huge fan of the, his artwork from the seventies on the hard traveling heroes storyline with green lantern and green arrow. I think those are, are just important, co- uh, books in the context of comic books. Um, I think they, they, they changed a lot of, uh, of the way we, experience political commentary in comics, uh, in modern comics. And I, I think those, those books are important written by Lynn Wein, I, I believe, and, uh, drawn by Neil Adams. Love those books. I am, I do feel like Neil Adams, uh, is a product of that era. And I think that he has difficulty, uh, making the, the change from the way comics were drawn back then to the way they're drawn now, because, you know, you pick up a comic today, it is very different in the way it's built, uh, you know, the way stories are told than they were, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. You know, you, you and, and I feel like artists have to keep up with that. Certainly keep things that work, but you got to bring in new things. And so uh, I feel like the manner in which Neil Adams visually tells a story is not nearly as effective uh, in, in this book as, you know, uh, other current artists uh, might, might uh, draw. But I will say this is the first time I have read a book drawn by Neil Adams that was not, in fact, written by Neil Adams. And that's refreshing because I don't think he's much of a writer. Agreed. You know, that Batman Odyssey 
which should have been wonderful because I love the way he draws Batman, was unreadable. It was yeah. just terrible. Um, you know, and other things that I've, I've read since and before are are just are terrible because he's not a good writer. I'm sorry. I, I hate to say that about you, Neil, but you're just not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, he clearly has a passion for Jack Kirby. I've heard him say that in interviews. I have I have seen his his illustrations. But, you know, I would agree. I, I think that that while his artwork is fine for this book, it is not uh, it is not nearly as dynamic as I would hope it would be. In fact, I'll go as far as to say that the best piece of artwork in the entire book is actually the main cover drawn by Kenneth Roquefort. Oh, it's uh, gorgeous. It is gorgeous. And I would love to have that throughout the book versus the Neil Adams artwork that we did that we did get. Um, and I appreciate he 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 adopts a lot of the, you know, Kirby styling in terms of how dynamic the action is across the book. But I, I found myself just going, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. Uh, I just I just wasn't that uh, enthused with this issue. I still liked it, and I'm still in because I love me some Commandy. I'm just glad that we've gotten the Neil Adams book out of the way. Agreed. Yeah, and and, and you know I'm a big fan of Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor. Oh yeah, that and, book and especially kind of, of her art. I mean, her art is yeah. just perfect, and it's going to to just be a blast. I, I can't wait for for the next issue. I really can't. And I'm pretty excited about every single uh, creative team that follows this. So, you know, it feels like the Neil Adams issue was the book that we had to have. Yeah. <laughs> and now we've taken our medicine and we can move on. Yeah. It's just too bad that he's paired with one of my favorite writers nowadays, which is Pete Tomas. Agreed. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I would have much rather have seen, uh, you know, one of the other artists that, that Tomasi uh, typically works with. Yeah, like a Pat Gleason or a Doug Mankey. Yeah. A Doug Mankey yeah. issue would be amazing. Yeah. Or Pat Gleason. I enjoy both of those yeah. uh, equally. Um, I, I I just, you know, I, I feel like they're, you know, particularly like Neil Adams is, a, you know, was drawing at the same time that Kirby was drawing. Right. Yeah. I mean, they were both at D.C. at the same time. And, you know, he knows Kirby. He's passionate about Kirby. So, of course, they had to do that. I just, you know, not that jazzed about it. Agreed. Yeah. So from Image Comics this week came Greg Rucka and Leandro Fernandez, the old guard. Um, Fernandez. 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 So here, this is a fairy tale of blood and bullets. It is the story of one woman and three men who cannot die, mostly. Their names are <laughs> their names are Andy, Nikki, Joe, and Booker. It is a story about time and age and ages and about friendship and love and regret. And that's the introduction to the book. Um, and, and we are we are quickly launched into uh, our 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 POV character, which is Andy, and we see that she lives life to the fullest um, because she cannot die. And, and then we meet the other um, we meet three other gentlemen. So there's still a fourth person. That or and there's still because I think it said five, right? Oh no, one woman and three men. Okay, so we meet all four in this issue, and we've discovered that basically they use their talents um, as a special task force to be called in, um, you know, to, to to handle really horrible things. And in this situation, um, they're 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 called in to handle um, someone has kidnapped young women or young girls, and and so they're called in to 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 handle it. Uh, to, to avoid an international incident. And so um, as fans of Greg Rucka, 
uh, friend of funny books, Greg Rocca. That's right. Um, you know, we wanted to give this book a shot. Aaron actually reached out to me and, uh, and told me about it. And so, Aaron, what did you think of The Old Guard Part 1? I absolutely loved this book. It was great. Um, I think that it's it's drawn beautifully. I think the, the story is uh, told well, both visually as well as in the narrative. Uh, there's I, for, Honestly, Paul, I, I just don't think there's nothing here not to like. Um, I, I, I just, there, there is – it certainly has its own visual style. Um, it is very much its own book. I, you know, Rucka does a really amazing job writing books about, you know, uh, tactical operations, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a a small group going in to, you know, uh, to infiltrate and, you know, exfiltrate. Uh, I, he, he does that really well. And I just really got a kick out of it. And there's this one scene where she leads her little squad of immortals into what winds up being a trap, Mm -hmm. right? Um, and they just all get shot up and you're like, holy shit. I mean, like, you know, chunks of their head missing and they're like, okay, now it's our turn as their heads are starting to reform. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was pretty cool. And, you know, and I, and I love that the trap was essentially not to win, not to capture them, but to capture on video the fact that these guys can't be killed. Yeah. Um, I dug this book. I'm, I'm really excited about it. You know, uh, your Rucka is is uh got two he has two books over at image he's got lazarus and now he has this and i just both of them are fantastic and both of them just really scratch an itch for me yeah this was a great book and it's funny because um two books that i want to talk about that um one of them didn't come out this week but was um i believe um a couple months back and i think the the storyline has been concluded it is a it um a miniseries from Boom Studios called Skyborn, um, written and drawn by Frank Cho, features kind of similar concepts about immortals. Um, and I, I've only read the first issue of that, but I, I actually quite enjoyed it. And now that I've read this, it's kind of, you know, it created an itch for me that I want to continue scratching. Um, so I'll likely pick up, you know, the, the rest of that series. Um, it, it involved also King Arthur and Merlin and things like that. And Excalibur. Oh, yeah. So um, you know, the, the first issue came out in September, and I believe, like I said, it was a six-issue miniseries, and it's already done. Um, so I'll likely pick that up. But what I also picked up this week was Highlander, the American Dream. Um, I, I, I looked real hard at that, Paul. Yeah. So <laughs> it's from Brian Ruckley and Andrea Muti, who, uh, people I'm not familiar with. The cover is by um, Francesco Francovia. It's a beautiful yeah. cover, and I, yeah. but it's a little awkward. Because it is done like a movie poster and like literally like a movie poster. Because on the bottom it says a Russell Mulcahy film starring Christopher Lambert, Roxanne Hart, Clancy Brown, and Sean Connery. Like it actually has the credits from the movie on the bottom of the cover. Which I don't know why that I, that struck me as so odd. But it's it's kind of odd. Like they didn't change the right. names to the creative team of the comic book. Like Christopher Lambert, Roxanne Hart, Clancy Brown, Sean Connery, Queen, Michael Kamen. None of those people have anything to do with this comic book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I felt that was a little awkward. Um, That being said, uh, Highlander the American Dream goes back to the tale of Connor McCloud. You know, the the character of the clan McCloud of the clan McCloud. Um, (laughs) You know, the character portrayed by Christopher Lambert or Christophe Lambert. Um, You know, and it it kind of uh, it, it involves... The, the gathering is coming or and so uh, but it, we we flash back to a time during the civil war where he is uh, where he meets another immortal who's 
pretty horrendous. Um, and another immortal who is a, a, a priest, and that ties in with the present-day storyline. It reads very much like you would anticipate a Highlander story to read, um, which is, you know, you've got your modern day, your flashback, you know, and, and that being said, this, we, we, though we've seen the story done before and we've seen it done in comic book form before, generally it's always had a feel that doesn't work either too many quips or too serious or not serious enough or, you know, like it's, it's, it's never done in such a way as to capture the original feel of the book. It's kind of one of the reasons I don't read a lot of licensed property books because, you know, you, you sometimes you pick up, um, an issue, of uh you know indiana jones or an issue of uh you know a big the trick big trouble in little china book or you know those evil dead books and it's just like let's just take a greatest hits and have every panel with ash or um jack um jack i don't remember the character's name from uh big trouble in little china um you know just making quips or quirky funny things in every panel and it just doesn't get the point of what the movie was which it's not like they were saying something every 5 seconds it was you know set at the right time um whereas right and 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 I feel like highlander books have always kind of been that way like you know we're we're just going to you know people love sword fighting and head cutting off and and connor you know sometimes he says something funny so let's make him more quippy and you know i feel like that's never been it's never captured the right feel of the movies i feel like this does um in in the in in a good way in that i love the highlander films even though i find them all pretty terrible um (laughs) well the you know i i love the first one it's the rest of them that i can't bear <laughs> even the first one doesn't hold up very much uh very well today well no it is very 80s but yes. uh, you know the cinematography remains beautiful it you does know, the, the it cuts does. in between present and past uh but you know why you've got sean connery playing a uh, a <laughs> an, an egyptian posing as a spaniard is beyond me <laughs> well you have uh, yeah well and the frenchman playing the scotsman and the frenchman I, I playing the scotsman that. yeah um, you know, yeah, and, and I mean, that being said, casting I, is a little bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I can pretty much sit through all four of the original Highlander films. Even, you know, I can sit through, um, you know, the, the quickening or the original, the quickening, oh. the final dimension and, um, end game. I can sit through all four of them actually. Um, oh. despite the fact that all they're, you know, the, the last three are actually pretty terrible out of, out of, out of those three, I would probably say the final dimension is the best of the two, three and four. And that's not saying much. Uh-huh. The only one I can't sit through is the, the, the final, final Highlander film. Um, which was, I don't even remember what the fuck it was named. Um, but it was, you know, specifically focused on Duncan McLeod, um, in the Duncan McLeod and oh my God, that, film well, you know, there are, the, there are. There are, yeah, yeah, there are those people who believe that Duncan McLeod is the superior immortal. And I, I'm just like, I, I don't know how you get there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Yes, they, we have spent more time with Duncan McLeod than we have with Connor McLeod because of the TV series. Um, the Source right. is the name of the uh, the final yeah. Highlander film. Highlander 5, I, The Source. I have, I have seen neither that nor The Final Dimension. Really? Yeah, because I, you know, I... I uh, I just I can't bear the sequels. I just I can't. You never I saw the one with Mario Van Peebles. I I am uh, familiar with it. I have seen maybe a scene from that film, but no, I've never watched it all the way through. Huh? Interesting. My time has value, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I I got to be honest, I never watched Highlander the series. Um, I. It- I did. I, I watched the the entire series. I came to it late, back when it was in repeats on Sci Fi, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and the I want to say the first two seasons are flat out terrible. But they introduce a character uh, that they actually had a spinoff for. They called the Raven. I think, the Raven. Yeah, yeah. And I liked her, and I liked that character, and I thought she worked well on the show. Um, it was one of those kind of things that that it did kind of find its footing. It was still an awkward show, but you know, for what we had in terms of genre television back then, uh, you know, keep in mind that that was the the day and age of all the syndicated. Uh, science fiction and yeah. you know, genre television shows. Um, I it, it wasn't half bad. It wasn't half good either. But it wasn't half bad. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I the, the those people who believe that uh, Duncan McLeod is the superior immortal, uh, you know, just uh, I, I don't understand those people. I, I, they're speaking a language I I cannot fathom. They're going a place I cannot follow. Yeah, they're right. That's right. But you know, I, I truly believe that Highlander needs a reboot yeah you know because the big problem with the series is that the first movie does not make any room for a sequel right i mean there is literally no room for a sequel and so they, they've really had to reimagine everything from quickening beyond mm-hmm. to make sequel to make room for those sequels i think you need to have somebody who's thinking about it in broader terms um so that you know you don't have you know <laughs> you don't have the entire journey in one film. I agree. You know? I, you know, I think, you know, you can certainly set up the thing about Highlander is that it always sets up that Connor McLeod or Duncan are the only moral Highlander out there or the only moral immortal out there. It's, it is very clear who the villain is in all of right. these Highlander films. And I feel like, you know, in modern day, you can tell that story with more shades of gray so that the bad guy generally isn't a bad guy. They're just, you know, you, you the characters are forced into this situation. And I feel like that would tell a more compelling story um, emotionally. There were really nice elements in the TV show, like the uh, secret organization of humans who tracked the, the immortals. You know, that, and that when that comes around, that's when the show really kind of started, you know, landing on its feet. You know, uh, I, I I think that there, I think that there are valuable there are uh, valuable stories to be told. There entertaining stories to be told there. I just think it, it would truly benefit from a reboot. Agreed. Well, uh, clean I, out, I, I, if you, you got to clean out all the crap, like start fresh. Yeah, I, I don't generally, you know, abide or encourage the reboots and other uh, corners of, of my, of my uh, media preferences. But I, I, I really think that the Highlander would benefit from that because the, the first film is extremely dated as much as I enjoy that movie. And as much as it created, I mean, I really do feel like Highlander kind of created that urban fantasy. Yeah. You know, it was it was the, the first box office success. And remember, Highlander came out of nowhere and you know we would <laughs> not know? have shows like outlander or or, or, right. or most of these shows that are are, are popular i mean it, it to your point about urban fantasy not just urban fantasy but also the sexualized urban fantasy yeah right yeah. because highlander you know every film was kind of known for having a very racy sex scene and i feel like you know that, that that's that was part of the the that was part of the foundation of Highlander is that not only did, was there this fantasy element, there was this urban fantasy. There was also this sexual element to it that you just, you know, it, it feels like it's ripe for remake. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. So as far as Highlander, the American dream, I, I, I if you're a fan of Highlander, um, or you know, it, it, it's certainly worth checking out. If you are unfamiliar with Highlander, I will say you kind of have to be. Right. Um, you know, it, 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 you go in with, they're not selling this book for someone who's not familiar with Highlander. 
Yeah, um, agreed. You know, agreed. whereas the old guard um, telling a similar story uh, does kind of, you know, it are, are, is dealing with new characters. So you get an introduction. You don't get that with Highlander. You're not getting an origin story. You're getting um, the next tale of Connor McLeod. So next week, we will actually Ooh. not be podcasting. No, no. Um, there, there are uh, some other some other uh, circumstances that will prevent us from podcasting next week. But I do want to mention a couple of big releases next week, including Zaytana by Paul Dini from DC Comics, which collects a number of um, Paul Dini written Zaytana stories um, that DC has previously published. Um, I feel like no one writes Zaytana better than Paul Dini does, and that's the only reason I mention that story. Or that book, mm-hmm. um, it is a trade paperback, and I am I'm I am likely to pick it up in you know digitally um, because it, it is I love Paul Dini and I love Zaytana and those two just it's like pa- Paul Dini writes Zaytana as well as he writes Harley Quinn I feel and pa- yeah. Harley Quinn is his creation whereas Zaytana is not um, right. also from DC Comics Superman number eighteen the first part of Superman Reborn comes out so mm. we'll be talking about that next time we podcast. Which, uh, and we, we might find out that I'm right, that it's Prime. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And I Am Bane continues in the pages of Batman in issue Batman I am Bane. 18. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds like good books next week. Too bad we're not going to talk about them. Yeah, yeah. But we'll talk about them next time we podcast. <laughs> That's right. Well, Paul, you know, I think that we made the right decision cutting Tim and Wayne out of our lives today. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I so. feel like this is just something we need to do. We just need to... To cut the cord. That's right. And if uh, you hate Tim and Wayne as much as we do, give us a call at 972-763-5903 and tell us about the cancer, the tumorous growth that that are Tim and Wayne. <laughs> 972-763-5903. If we use your voicemail on the show, you'll win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. Woo-hoo. Have a great week, Paul. You too. Bye, folks. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. 